Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome again. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so we're starting a new sermon series called I Am. This is going to be the sermon uh, series that we uh, walk through the entire season of Lent uh, with. And most of the time, we're going to be looking at some of the I Am statements of Jesus found in John's gospel. Uh, Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am uh, the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to be looking at uh, what those I am statements uh, mean to us today. That's what we'll be doing uh, but, uh, throughout the season of Lent for the next uh, 40-some days. But tonight, we're going to be starting uh, in the Old Testament, starting with the story of Moses in the burning bush. It's one of those like kind of standard uh, Sunday school kind of stories, right? The ones that everybody kind of knows at least something about, right? God shows up to Moses in this burning bush. But the bush isn't consumed, it's not burnt up, it's just burning and yet still there all together. God speaks to Moses through this bush. And just if you didn't hear some of the backstory about Moses earlier in the service, so uh, Moses, uh, you can read all about this, Exodus chapter 2, it's all right there. But I'll just give you the short version. So Moses, he, uh, he grows up in, uh, he's a Hebrew uh, born to a Hebrew woman, but uh, because of some circumstances, he ends up uh, being adopted by this, uh, by this, the Pharaoh and his family and his household. And so uh, Moses spends most of his life in uh, Pharaoh's household, but all the time he knows that he's part of the Hebrew people. He knows that he's part of that, and he knows the story of the Hebrew people, right? The Hebrew people are God's chosen people. God has promised that uh, they would be a great nation. And yet at this point, when Moses is living, the people uh, of Israel, the Hebrew people, they're living in slavery in Egypt. It's kind of hard to be a great nation when you're living in slavery. So Moses is just watching all of this transpire. And one day, uh, he notices this brutal beating that this uh, Hebrew man is taking from this Egyptian and there's something that clicks, something that breaks in Moses, and he just can't stand it anymore. He can't stand to watch his people be treated like this, to suffer under the weight of slavery and oppression. And so Moses kills this guy, this Egyptian. And he hides the body, he tries to cover it up, but the word quickly spreads. Turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so pretty close to the beginning, right? Uh, not too hard to find. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 14, a little way through. This is what it says. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. See, Moses was on the run. On the run from uh, the drama in his life that was unfolding, from this terrible story, from the abuse that he was watching take place right before his eyes, running from the chaos and the confusion of life in Egypt, Moses was running. There's a book uh, called The Secret Life of Bees. It was written by Sue Monk Kidd uh, in early 2000, and it was adapted as a screenplay uh, a few years ago. And in the story, right, it, it takes place in 1960s South Carolina, and this, there's this little girl, Lily Owens, and 
Lily's mom died when Lily was really young, and so now she lives with her abusive father, T. Ray, and their housekeeper, uh, Rosaline. And one day, uh, Lily and T. Ray, they get into this heated argument, and T. Ray lets it slip that this horrible news, that according to him at least, Lily's mom ran off, left the two of them to live by themselves, just kind of forgotten about. And T. Ray claimed that Lily's mom didn't really love Lily. She did come back one day, but it wasn't for Lily. Can you imagine what it was like to hear that kind of news as a little girl? And it's at that moment, in that argument, Lily decides to run away. To run away uh, with the housekeeper, Rosalie, to run off to another place, to run away from the abuse that she's experiencing, to run away from the pain, the heartache, from the chaos and confusion of life. Take a look. So Moses ran, Lily ran. I want to ask you tonight what are you running from? What mistake or regret in your life are you running from? What pain or hurt in your life has you running right now? What doubt or confusion has you running? Maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you know, someone you love, someone you care about, and you're watching them as they run, and you're watching them just wear themselves out with the running and the running trying to get away from whatever it is. And see, this is where Moses' story gets really good. It's where I want to make sure that all of us, we, we hear the good news that is within this story because something incredible happens in this story, in the story of Moses. Something that if we really start to understand it, if we can wrap our hearts and our minds around it, it changes everything for us. You see, Moses, he ran and he took up this temp job as a sheep herder in uh, the desert, in the wilderness. He was uh, working for his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And one day, Moses, he's taking his sheep out uh, to pasture and uh, they wander all the way to uh, this area called Sinai. And the Hebrew word for that can also mean wasteland. Moses is in the wasteland. His life, it's led to this point. And it's in the midst of the wasteland that God shows up. That God shows up and he encounters Moses. He comes to Moses with this crazy idea, this crazy plan, this thing that would change the course of Moses' life forever. In the middle of the wasteland, God shows up in this unexpected place, in this unexpected way. I mean, just think about it, right? You're, you're a shepherd and you're just hanging out with your stinky sheep and it's just an average, ordinary day, right? Nothing too special about it. But all of a sudden, God shows up. It's the last thing. Right? That you probably expected to have happen. That in this average, ordinary, everyday wasteland of a place, that there would be this holy, divine encounter. Take a look. 
in the middle of the wasteland, God shows up for Moses. Not in some temple, not in some place where people would expect God to be. Not in some holy place, but in the wasteland, God shows up. Our scripture reading uh, tonight cuts in about halfway through that encounter that Moses has with God in the burning bush. And God is telling Moses, right? I mean, I've heard the suffering of my people in Egypt. And I'm going to do something about it. This is Exodus 3, 9 and 10. Let's read this together. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me. This is kind of an aside, but this is pretty incredible in my mind. Because of the prayers of the people of Israel, God responds. God's not distant, detached, removed. He doesn't just have this plan that's going straight down the line regardless of human interaction. Instead, God is responsive to the prayers of the people. The cries of the people of Israel has reached me. Now I'm sending you. I'm going to do something about it. God says, yes, I've decided uh, to rescue the people of Israel out of slavery. And I'm sending you to do do that, Moses, right? You're going to go and talk to Pharaoh. And Moses kind of freaks out at this. And he's like, wait, who, me, me? I'm not sure that really should be the case. And this is what he says. These are the next verses, 11 and 12. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. See, it wasn't Moses' abilities that made him a good fit for this job. In fact, uh, we know that Moses had this like uh, speech impediment. So it wasn't his abilities that made Moses the right fit for this job. It, it wasn't Moses' past either, right? He's this stained, messed up, broken individual living out his life in the wasteland, running away from his problems. But that's not what defined Moses. That's not what would make Moses a great leader for the people of Israel. What would make him that, that great leader, is the fact that God would be with him. It's God's presence with Moses that changes everything. What made Moses perfect for this job What defined his past, present, and future was this encounter that he has with God here in this place. So what does all this have to do with Lent, right? How many people, uh, when you hear the, when you talk about Lent, right, you think maybe, oh, it's, you know, that time when you give something up for a while and everybody's bragging about, you know, oh, I gave up uh, sugar or coffee or chocolate or I gave up social media and I'm just going to get off that for a while and all this kind of stuff, right? And, and I think, well, that's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a good habit. But I think one of the problems can be that the habit becomes the focus, that we brag and, and that becomes the focus, right? Our own self-control becomes the focus. So, oh yeah, you know, look at me. I've given up uh, sugar for, you know, it's been exactly four days, 10 hours, 33 minutes, and 52 seconds. Aren't you impressed? You should be impressed. If you knew me, 
That'd be a long time to go. Even four days, that'd be a long time to go without sugar. But, right? It's the habit that becomes the focus. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. But see, the habit can't be the focus. The habit can't be the end. It's got to be about making room and paying attention to God. It's got to be about cultivating this understanding of God's presence. And maybe it's in the midst of uh, not having that chocolate or that coffee or uh, that time on social media that you're actually able to pay attention to God. Because that's what God wants. God's not interested in our uh, abilities to uh, control ourselves, to control our habits. That's not at the core of what God wants through all of this. What God wants for all of us, what God has always wanted, what he wants in his encounter with Moses is that Moses would know what it's like to be in a relationship with God. That he would learn God's voice, that he'd be able to talk to him and respond to him. It's, it's really incredible if you, if you step back for a moment and think about the interaction that happens between Moses and God. Because Moses is complaining. He's, he's not always so like, yes, God, okay, whatever you say, I'll go and do it right now, right? Moses, even in the face of God's holiness, Moses responds. There's space in the midst of God's divine presence for us to argue a little bit, for us to actually enter into the conversation. It's not just a one-way thing. That's one of the incredible things about God and the very relational aspect and nature of who God is. So Moses, he actually, uh, right at this point, God said, yes, I'll be with you. And so Moses is like, okay, there's still, this is just, this is weird. Here's what happens next. Moses is talking in verse uh, 13. He says this. Moses protests. If I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And this is what God says. God replied to Moses and he said, I am who I am. It's kind of an interesting thing, because right, Moses asked for a name, and God doesn't give him a name in this verse, at least. He gives him this phrase, this idea, I am who I am. This is something that has puzzled people for a long time. It's, it's not like the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not all those kind of things. It's not Jehovah. It's not whatever. It's I am who I am. Another translation of that could be, I will be what I will be. Could it be that in this response, God is saying to Moses, I will be for you exactly what you need me to be in this time. I will be for you what I have always been, your God present with you. I will be your stronghold. I will be your voice. I will give you the words to speak. I will be the one who's providing freedom, who's providing support who's providing that encouragement. I will be what I will be. So back to the secret life of bees. 
In her running, uh, Lily finds her way to this eclectic house where three sisters live. They're uh, beekeepers. They make honey, and Queen Latifah, who plays August Boatwright, the oldest uh, of the sisters, she invites Lily and Rosaline into their house to live with them, to spend some time with them. And it's in this encounter, man, uh, Lily just, things change so much for her. But she's still wrestling with this question of, you know, did my mom really not love me? How can that even be true? She's wrestling with that, and as she gets to know more of the people that uh, live in the area, people that are kind of connected with the Boatwright sisters, some terrible things happen. And Lily really blames herself for the pain and the heartache that's been caused. And that weighs her down. And she's ready to run again. Ready to run so that she doesn't bring any more pain and hurt and heartache to the people in that house. But then she has this conversation with uh, Queen Latifah, with August Boatwright. Take a look. I don't know what you're running from tonight. I don't know what pain or hurt or doubt or confusion, regret you're dealing with, what you've come face to face with, whatever uh, grime and just the harsh reality of life, I don't know what that looks like for you. But would you hear August's words as gospel truth? That you're not unlovable. That there's love all around you. And we go to this point to say that that love is a love made real from God through Jesus, shared with us. We don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. We don't actually have to do anything at all. God shows up and through his son, Jesus Christ, he has shared his love with us, surrounded us with love and grace and forgiveness. This is the truth. Paul writes about it in uh, Romans, in the fifth chapter. He says this. Let's read this together. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we maybe still felt unlovable, God shared his love with us. So in the season of Lent, in the season of reflecting and remembering and coming face to face with our mortality and our brokenness, as we take this journey preparing for the good news of Easter, but not yet quite arriving there, would you remember that truth? That you're not unlovable that God's love is all around you.